Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit the website johnsonsairconditioning.com. They do a great job. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. We've got terrific guests for today's show, including Mark Schulman. Mark is the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. I'll be talking about current world events, especially what's going on with regard to the coronavirus, uh, the uh, Wuhan uh, flu. Uh, Wuhan flu. We'll also visit with... Uh, Larry Reed, the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education, and Jim McTegg. Jim is uh, Barron's Washington Bureau Chief, former uh, Barron's Washington Bureau Chief, and author of a couple of books. His latest is Shake the Money Tree. It is April the 20th, and on this day in 2010, an explosion fire aboard the Deepwater Horizon oil dr- drilling rig in the Gulf of Mexico, approximately 50 miles off the of Louisiana coast, killed 11 people and triggered the largest offshore oil spill in American history. The rig had been in the final phases of drilling an exploratory well for BP, the British oil giant. By the time the well was capped three months later, an estimated 4.9 million barrels, or around 206 million gallons of crude oil, had been poured into the Gulf of Mexico. The disaster began when a surge of natural gas from the well shot up uh, a riser pipe to the rig's platform where it set off a series of explosions and a massive blaze of 126 people on board the nearly 400-foot-long Deepwater Horizon. 11 workers perished and 17 others were seriously injured. The fire burned for more than a day before the Deepwater Horizon, constructed for about $350 million in 2001, sank on April the 22nd in some 5,000 feet of water. Before evacuating the Deepwater Horizon, crew members tried unsuccessfully to activate a safety device called a blowout preventer, which was designed to shut off the flow of oil from the well in an emergency. Over the next three months, a variety of techniques were tried in an effort to plug the hemorrhaging well, which was spewing thousands of barrels of oil into the Gulf each day. Finally, on July the 15th, BP announced... Uh, The well had been temporarily capped, and on September the 19th, after cement was injected into the well to permanently seal it, the federal government declared the well dead. Uh, By that time, however, oil from the spill had reached a coastal area of Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, and Florida, where it would inflict a heavy toll on the region's economy, particularly the fishing and tourism industries and wildlife. Scientists say the full extent of the environmental damage could take decades to assess. Uh, of course, they paid a big fine. I think it was eighteen, four point five million dollars in fines. The Justice Department also uh, BP agreed to pay eighteen point seven billion dollars in fines uh, in July. So it was a big cost to BP, big cost to the coastline. Fortunately, here on the Paradise Coast, we didn't experience uh, experience a lot of uh, damage. In fact, almost none, uh, probably because of the way the currents run. Florida schools will remain closed throughout the school year due to the coronavirus pandemic. Academically, there would be not be a huge benefit to the school reopening, said uh, DeSantis, our governor, Ron DeSantis. DeSantis sided with educators who called on the uh, governor to cancel school for the remainder of the year. With only 33 academic days remaining in the school's calendar, it simply doesn't make sense and it's not worth the risk, he wrote. So kids are off for the year, and uh, of course they'll continue vi- virtual and distant learning, and the parents will be learning too about some of the things that they're learning in the curriculum. While the largest wildfire of the 2020 season has grown to six, 621 acres in Big Cypress National Preserve, uh, according to the release by the National Park Service, firefighters have the blaze about 25% contained. It's doubled over the last couple of weeks, and it's uh, inhibiting some of the travel on I-75. But uh, nevertheless, uh, this is fairly typical considering how dry the season is right now. A major coronavirus model on Friday radically revised downward the number of expected COVID-19 deaths in Florida, painting a relatively optimistic picture for the state, even as its governor has earlier received criticism for refusing to lock it down until the beginning of April. The Murray model, developed by scientists out of the University of Washington, repeatedly cited by White House officials, 
over the course of the pandemic is earlier this week projected 4,748 deaths from the coronavirus at, uh, on, by, uh, through August, that is. On Friday, the scientists in charge of the model sharply downgraded those estimates now projecting a total of 1,363 deaths. Boy, a reduction of about, oh, 3,500 deaths. That's pretty good. 71%, the revision, represents a 71% reduction in the total of expected deaths uh, coming from the coronavirus. That's good news. Uh, in addition, Florida's seen, uh, let's see, about uh, 750 deaths so far. And Governor DeSantis uh, is going to reopen the Florida Task Force today. We'll hold an organizational and informational meeting via teleconference uh, today regarding the reopening of Florida's economy. So he's getting some uh, expert help on uh, what he can do in order to reopen this economy. And hopefully things will move quickly because I don't think we really understand the cost of this entire thing. Last week, major U.S. indexes recorded a second consecutive week of gains amid optimism that the American economy could reopen soon. Since March, uh, late March, that is, the three most widely watched indexes have recovered roughly half of the decline from mid-February highs. Uh, oil futures dropped, however, and that's hurting the uh, opening for today. It looks like the futures, Dow Jones Industrial Average futures, are down about 400 as we're speaking today or this morning. Uh, and uh, oil has dropped down to $14.47 a barrel. They recovered slightly to $14.83. We haven't seen those prices since 1999. And, of course, uh, President Trump has expressed his concern about the oil business here in uh, the United States where oil are energy independent. And uh, with these prices, we won't be able to continue to produce, or at least uh, the <coughs> producers won't be able to continue their production at these prices. President Trump announced Sunday evening that the United States has passed a major coronavirus testing milestone, telling reporters that 4.18 million Americans have now screen been screened, more than France, the UK, South Korea, Japan, Singapore, India, Austria, Australia, Sweden, and Canada combined. Speaking at the Daily White House coronavirus uh, briefing, the president unboxed a swab testing kit and touted the new testing technologies that could fight the pandemic even as he cautioned that, that some states don't even know where they are. In other words, they've received them, but they can't locate them. Trump uh, then read a length, uh, lengthy piece from the Wall Street Journal praising him for the implementing the new partnerships with the private sector and, and the American way into action. Once reluctantly aroused, it was hard to get aroused, he said, and it's hard to get it, uh, but we got it aroused, president commented. Faced with criticism that he idled while the coronavirus spread, the president pointed out that uh, uh, Brett Baer observed that Democrats, uh, uh, four Democrats, uh, February 19th, the president debate had not mentioned coronavirus at all. Rhetoric on coronavirus from Democrats, Republicans, and the media has changed dramatically since January. At the same time, President Trump uh, said Republicans have been having very good negotiations with Democrats on expanding funding under the Paycheck Protection Program and could have an agreement as soon as today. The stimulus legislation established a $350 billion fund for small businesses that was depleted last Thursday. We're looking for help to help hospitals, rural hospitals. As part of the package, Trump said, we will have an answer tomorrow, he said uh, last night. Democrats have held up the pack package of new funds for small businesses. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi justified the delay on Sunday by saying she wanted more funding for telling, testing in hospitals, uncontroversial demands that even left-of-center commentators have pointed out that Republicans never opposed. Earlier in the day, Trump spoke with uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin, a source familiar with the call, told uh, said that Mnuchin said the open items were limited to testing portion of the uh, age, aid package. At the beginning of the call, McConnell and Mnuchin touted the additional funding for PPP, uh, the Paycheck Protection Plan, and reiterated additional state and local government funding and demands from Democrats regarding the funding uh, for the Supplemental Nutritional Assistance Program were not going to, it's not going to happen, which is good news. And during the briefing, Trump went on to tout what he called bipartisan efforts to have uh, succeeded in blending coronavirus deaths in the country, as well as his January 31st decision to block most travel from China. Uh, it was the uh, 
reporters were very rude. Some CBS reporter, uh, Zhang, repeatedly interrupted the uh, president, argued that he'd implemented his January 31st travel ban on China too late. He said, well, how many deaths do we had through January 31st? And then he said, you don't know, do you? Well, the answer is none. We had none. Uh, president attacked by these reporters. The same thing happened with CNN. And he said, you folks are ridiculous. Oh, by the way, he also called uh, the inquiry into what happened with regard to uh, the uh, uh, leading up to the Mueller report, that inquiry and what happened, uh, he says, basically the people running the FBI and CIA were scum, he said. He was speaking out and uh, <laughs> he was, he was uh, being President Trump uh, last night. Uh, this segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at uh, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. Coming up, we're going to visit with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Shore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards with six full productions this season. But did you know that Gulf Shore Playhouse brings unique theater education programs and opportunities for children, teens, and adults alike? Education is a vital component of Gulf Shore Playhouse's mission, providing programs aimed at enriching the lives of our children, teens, and students of all ages. Each offering provides real-life skills and learning experiences that are invigorating, nurturing, and readily accessible to every member of our community thanks to the scholarships and reduced-price programming for our region's most deserving students. From in-school residencies and pre-professional theater training to community partnerships, audience engagement, and student matinees. The goal is to inspire creativity, encourage self-expression, and support the blossoming of self-confidence, collaboration, and a deep appreciation for the arts. With each passing year, Golf Show Playhouse continues to touch the lives of tens of thousands of students throughout Southwest Florida. Isn't it time that a young person in your life finds out more? For more information about student camps and the Teen Conservatory, visit the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work, well, at least in, after the economy gets going. You can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now we have with us Mark Schulman. Mark is an author. He's written several books on past presidents, mainly past presidents. He's also the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. It's called HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Bob. And Mark, you're still in Israel. Yes, I am. At this point, there's no real... Traveling is dangerous, let's put it that way. There are a few flights here and there, but it's very dangerous. And yeah. While you know, I'm edging up to that 
that group, that age group that is dangerous, and it makes no sense to take on that that risk factor. Uh, plus, things are much better in control here in Israel. There have only been 160 deaths compared to what's back in my home area of New York, where they're in, they're in the tens of thousands. So, yeah, um, and the hospitals are not overwhelmed here. Um, younger population has a lot to do with it. A healthier population, um, and I think those two factors are are really the, the the two key factors that seem to make the difference is that they're younger. And also, Israel started releasing um, today and yesterday more people back to work, but they were the ones who, sh- who sh- you know, shut down the quickest. They, they cut off transportation t- from China three days before the United States did. They cut off transport, and it wasn't only China, it was South Korea, it was all of the Far East. Mm-hmm. They did the same to Europe weeks before the United States did. The only place they stayed open for a while was the United States because of political issues, but even that, you know, Israel only has one major airport, so it's sort of easy to, to control. So Israel's in a better place than most, most other places because it's smaller and the younger population, and it went to lockdown much earlier than relatively speaking, certainly in the United States. So, so how's the economy doing? Because, I mean, that m- one of our big concerns is, of course, that it's not only health of the population, but it's also the uh, financial well-being of the population. How's, how's Israel doing? I mean, for the moment, not well. They, the Israeli government did much less than the United States government did in terms of supporting businesses, which is a problem. They went to the banks. They only gave... Uh, they only gave an 85% guarantee as opposed to the 100% guarantee the U.S. government did, and then you start getting into situations with banks, and they don't want to lend to anyone who might be in trouble. And, of course, the whole purpose of this loan is to get bridge people who are in trouble. Mm-hmm. You know, you always have the, the old story, don't go to a bank when you need money. In this case, the whole idea of government guarantees in some of the United States it was to give people who might not otherwise have qualified for a bank loan under these situations a bank loan. Right. And that loan will turn into a grant in the United States. And Israel is just an 85% guarantee, so that hasn't worked out very well in terms of businesses. And of course, Israel's high-tech sector, most of them people work, were just working from home. It doesn't make any difference, obviously. Programmers and those type of people don't need to, don't need to uh, work in offices. And I think a lot of the companies may find they'll never go back to offices. So I wouldn't want to be someone who owns uh, real estate and office space anywhere in the world today, because I think we're going to find... When the economy fully goes back, there are going to be a lot less office spaces that are going to be used by people. Yeah, uh, and you know, also, also uh, rentals. Apparently, a third of the people that rent properties in the United States um, that I, I saw a statistic, a third of them haven't paid their rent for the month of uh, April. Right, absolutely. I mean, listen, the people don't have income. You know, what, what should have been done, in my opinion, uh, was there should have been a worldwide freeze, a freeze on rent payments, a freeze on mortgage payments, a freeze on loan payments, you know, across the board, a financial freeze, all you know, all around the whole the whole circle, so that you know, renters don't pay rent, but the person who bought the building and is paying a, a loan on it doesn't have to pay the mortgage on it, etc. Well, there's there's dominoes as some, but one of those dominoes is going to end up being the the uh, the bank, for example, that's uh, holding the loan. Well, so the bank, well, if, it's a, if, if, the, if the Fed has stepped in and guaranteed the banks. So they don't have a problem. The banks have all been guaranteed in the bank, and the Fed has bought all their papers. So mm-hmm. The banks aren't in danger at all because the Fed has stepped in and also the U.S. government. So the banks wouldn't fall in, in that sort of domino effect. Everyone would just you know, freeze for a month or two until this was over. That would, that would have been my suggestion, but who am I? Well, yeah, yeah, I wrote yeah. it you're a smart guy. That's <laughs> great, good <laughs> historian. <laughs> so, but uh, it's, which is why we're having you here on the show. So, uh, Ron DeSantis, the governor of uh, Florida, is holding a, a task force meeting today. I suspect coming from that will be some sort of direction on opening up the state of Florida. And by the way, which the uh, the measures were not quite as draconian as they are, for example, in Michigan and other states where people are rebelling. Uh, the uh, folks are getting restless. They're getting stir crazy. They want to go. Back to work. Get, everyone's getting restless. Listen, <laughs> we would all love not to be living through a pandemic. Yeah. Let's be honest here. This is not pleasant for anybody anywhere in the world, frankly, and it's basically the whole world, and greater or lesser extent, is being is being affected. Now it's starting to come to some of the developing countries, and who knows what's going to be there. But this is a very unpleasant experience, to say the least. And that's if you're not sick, and if you don't get it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But just to live through it is incredibly unpleasant. Uh, but, you know, on one level, look, let's look at New Zealand. New Zealand is the most successful country in terms of fighting the, the, the virus. They have 
some of the advantages that Israel does because they only have, I think, two main airports. It's an island, the big island. And um, they've managed to get the R factor, that's the transmission factor, to under um, 0.5%. And they're, they're keeping their closed, their total curfew for one more week with the goal of getting it to zero. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, it's commitment, and it's going to succeed, it looks like, because the people listen. No one's, no one, the United States is a very strange place, I have to say, in the sense that it's the only place that I've seen in the whole world, looking at all the different, what's going on in all the world, with this active opposition to these curfews. No one likes it, but everyone understands the fact that in a, in a pandemic of this kind, there, until there's a vaccine or a medicine that's proven to work, there almost are no other solutions. Well, see, the, the, the opposition that I'm seeing is not because of the curfews. I think most people are going along with uh, six feet or stay at home, all those types of things. But it's, uh, for example, the governor of Michigan who's decided that you can't buy seeds, so you can have an abortion. You can't in uh, Virginia. Uh, you, uh, the, the restrictions on gun ownership. So I think it's some of the draconian measures that governors are taking advantage of the situation in order to implement some of their political. Yeah, it sounds more like political opponents trying to make use of make make use of it. Because listen, it doesn't really matter. You know, seeds or not seeds or this or that. It, it, those are really small matters. The major matter is stay home. If you can't work from home, don't go to work. If you, unless you're an essential, you know, essential service being food and all those type of things, and you know, we need to live through this. That's that's the reality. We 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 need look look. People say that if New York had closed down a week earlier, it would have eliminated at least seventy percent of the deaths that took place in New York. They waited too long, frankly. That's a mistake, and I don't think Bill De Blasio or Cuomo will ever live that down, frankly. Hmm. Um, but, um, you know, rushing back makes no sense either, frankly. You need to be very, very careful here. Because the whole issue is this, this virus has two factors that seem to be very strong. One is it's incredibly infectious. It's very easy to transmit, it seems. And number two, of course, is that when it hits certain people, it's incredibly uh, destructive to the, to the human body. Even if you live through it, it seems many of the people who are living through it are not coming out the same when they're at the other end. Yeah. Their lung cake lung abilities and everything else. Well, so I don't want to diminish. So, I don't want to diminish uh, what what you just said. I think you're absolutely right. Uh, however, we're seeing a lot of evidence that many people are asymptomatic. They actually have the virus, but because they're healthy, uh, they don't demonstrate or exhibit any of the symptoms that uh, some of the people that have. Right, but that, that makes them the most dangerous. You see, therein lies one of the biggest problems of this virus. That some percentage, and no, we won't we won't know until we do what they call a serological test, when you can test the, test the blood afterwards and see how many people have developed uh, antibodies. We, will never, we won't know what percentage of the, of the population was asymptomatic and didn't know they had the, the virus. Right now, it doesn't seem that high. They did a, they did a test in Santa Clara, and they did a test in, in Holland, I think, both places that have had a strong out, uh, outbreaks. And in both cases, they found about 5% of the population had the antibodies. Mm-hmm. So nothing near enough to start developing herd, herd uh, immunity. What herd immunity, by the way, is when enough people in the population have it that the virus doesn't find enough hosts and dies eventually. Right. And we don't, we don't know whether we have or how, how much herd well, we immunity. We don't know, but I think the two, the two places that have tested so far have found, like I said, it's been about 5%. New York State is starting tests today. I believe, mm-hmm. and that'll be a larger scale test, and we'll have some sort of better, better understanding of, of what percentage. Um, but you know, certainly in places where it hasn't ravaged yet, like Florida, where it just it's growing at the moment, from what I can see, um, you need to be very, very careful. Yeah, um, because you don't want to be New York again. That's that's the reality, and um, there's no easy things. This is tough. Yeah, it is there, tough. There's no easy way, and. And look, the economy is not going to come jumping back. We, you know, it'd be wonderful to think it will, unless there's a vaccine. But you know, unless there's a vaccine, there are all sorts of difficulties that people aren't even thinking about. I'll give you one example of it. Look at, I mean, Florida. I don't know, maybe it has only one season. But look at in New York or anywhere else, a, a clothing store that's been closed for two months, right? And its um, its inventory is all of the spring clothes. Yeah. And now, what are they going to do? They can't. Let's say, let's say they open May fifteenth for the sake of argument, right? Uh huh. What are they going to sell? They can't sell the spring things. They can't give it to the manufacturer. If the manufacturer takes it back. They'll go bankrupt. 
um, they don't have money to buy the, the, the summer the summer lines because they didn't sell the spring lines. Yeah, so I'm happy you brought that up, Mark, because I think there's there's those what you just demonstrated here is it's it's not flipping a switch. There's all kinds of problems deeply embedded in this entire process, and it's going to be very harmful to those that are. I'm very concerned about small businesses and how many truly are going to reopen after this is all over. Mark, no, we've got, it's terrible we've got, for small businesses. Yeah. There's no question. This is a terrible situation for small businesses. There aren't good solutions. I mean, some of the big companies also. I mean, things they were you know they're saying Neiman Marcus is going to probably declare bankruptcy uh, probably today. I yeah, right, like. right. Doesn't um, mean they won't be in other business. Other retailers, too. I mean, the only people gaining from this are the really big ones, the ones who have really big um, online presence. Of course, Amazon has grown tremendously. Walmart. This. Yeah. And Walmart, because A, they have an online presence, but B, because they're an essential service food. Right. The one thing Americans and worldwide, and this goes everywhere, it's in Israel as well, basically we're all buying 50% more food than we ever do. Now, I don't know if we're eating it. And if we are, we're all going to be pretty fat when this is all over. <laughs> so, so, Mark, we've got to take a quick break here. Could you stick around? Absolutely, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Shore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards with six full productions this season. But did you know that Gulf Shore Playhouse brings unique theater education programs and opportunities for children, teens, and adults alike? Education is a vital component of Gulf Shore Playhouse's mission, providing programs aimed at enriching the lives of our children, teens, and students of all ages. Each offering provides real-life skills and learning experiences that are invigorating, nurturing, and readily accessible to every member of our community thanks to the scholarships and reduced-price programming for our region's most deserving students. From in-school residencies and pre-professional theater training to community partnerships, audience engagement, and student matinees, the goal is to inspire creativity, encourage self-expression, and support the blossoming of self-confidence, collaboration, and a deep appreciation for the arts. With each passing year, Golf Show Playhouse continues to touch the lives of tens of thousands of students throughout Southwest Florida. Isn't it time that a young person in your life finds out more? For more information about student camps and the Teen Conservatory, visit the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. Visit the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of Shake the Money Tree. Right now, we continue the conversation with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Again, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. So, Mark, I want to touch base with you uh, about what's happened with uh, the World Health Organization and what's going on in China. Well, what are your thoughts? Complicated situation, to say the least. I mean, there is no question that the Chinese uh, were not totally forthcoming. Um, certainly, you know, it gets complicated because what seems to have taken place, and again, we don't really know, is first of all, the people in the province of Wuhan weren't forthcoming with the central government in China. So there's a starting point of a chain of, of difficulties that 
in the province of Wuhan, they were afraid to do tell anyone this was going on, and then they finally did. I think a lot of the people in the province were actually arrested for keeping the secret. Ah. And then the government of China then was kind of reluctant to, to let the world know immediately. One of the big problems is they, they stopped domestic travel three days before they stopped international travel. Um, but um, they then, you know, the World Health Organization is a UN agency that, re- that requires... Um, cooperation from each individual country. It doesn't have its own ability to, to gain certain certain information, etc. So the World Health Organization clearly was a little bit slow in giving the warning. They, they told everybody there was something going wrong. They weren't sure that if it was... Um, they did not think initially it was um, transmittable people to people, um, but then they finally did. This goes back to January. So yeah, yeah. there's no question that they made some mistakes. Uh, without a doubt, then there's no question that China could clearly have been more forthcoming. And but again, it also sounds also like a situation with a country that um, was having a hard time trying to decide uh, what it wanted to um, what it wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, central governments like the communist government have a hard time making decisions sometimes. I mean, you, you know, one level it's easier because it's a dictatorship, and the other level. They're always plotting what makes the most sense, what makes the least sense, etc. And without a free press, you never fully know what's going on. Well, it kind of comes out taking a page out of the Chernobyl notebook, in a sense. I mean, the, uh, it, there is a, a right, lot. Yeah, there's, there's, there's no question. This was, there's similarities to Chernobyl, except the only difference was that Chernobyl was a much well two two different things. I should mention one is that the timeline in Chernobyl was longer. The the, the Russians or the Soviets at the time tried much longer to try to cover it up. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, um, there was a limited amount of things that you could do when Chernobyl happened, as opposed to this one, in terms of, you know, here the world could have, you know, instituted earlier travel bans. The United States, inst- well, the United States, when it finally did its Chinese travel ban, only did it to Chinese citizens or nationals, not to American nationals returning from China. So that was a big, uh, uh, a big hole in that plan. So we yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, but the the president's point, I think, is he's suspending funding of the World Health Organization right now because you know, if you think about it as a as a business service, as a, a, a health a welfare health and welfare service, they didn't come through. They didn't provide good service to well, us. Well, that's a little nonsensical. They didn't come through. They were, they were a week late. Is that what it was? He no, was, you know, that, they, just... they misled. They misled the the no, the American they, they, people. They knew. They went with what they had. They didn't go with. They they didn't mislead on purpose. And on top of which, you don't do things like this in the middle of the pandemic. Afterwards, when it's all over, it's time to take a look at what the World Health Organization did or did not do right, etc. You don't do things like this. That was just a political move that had no that has no real yeah. logic to do now. Afterwards, yeah, afterwards have a commission of inquiry to see what the Chinese did wrong or didn't do. You know, was it criminal? Was it this World Health Organization? What changes need to be made? Uh, there, in case you know, assume, assuming they made mistakes, and I certainly think they did make mistakes, then after it's all over, let's look into that, etc. But you don't do that in the middle of a worldwide pandemic. The only organization in the world that that fights a worldwide pandemic, you're going to cut funding in the middle of it. I mean, really, it's, it's not logical. Well, it is. Afterwards. It, Go afterwards. Well, uh, it, it plays it, well politically, but it, that's all it does. It plays well politically. Well, uh, in my view, uh, they they haven't provided good information and service to the. But they've, but they've been finding great information since 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 the end of January. They sent out kits to the whole world to do testing. The United States didn't accept the kits for reasons we still don't know. That'll be that should be an interesting question as well. But they sent out kits that the whole rest of the world used for testing. They did that, and by the end of January, they had sent it to everywhere in the world. Yeah, this uh, this kind of gets into the other question, though. A bigger, another question is maybe not a bigger question about globalism and the whole notion about uh, how we play a role in the world and what role we should play with regard to uh, comp- play the UN, uh, the World Health Organization. Well, that's a whole other story, but the, we, the United States built the world system after World War II. Mm-hmm. Every president of the United States, until President Trump has accepted that this is a system that we built, that has made us safe, that has made the United States the richest country in the world. And, you know, you could have a discussion of how that should change and not change, and maybe there's a place for that discussion. I mean, obviously, I think we may come out on two different sides of that question. Right. But even if you 
do come out a different sides of the question, and I'm not really sure you would in the end because you're such a smart man. It's really hard for me to see you coming out on the other <laughs> side of that question when it's all done. But the reality is you don't do it in the middle of a worldwide pandemic because yeah. let's understand something. The only way we come out of the other side of this, the only way, is if the whole world comes out of it in some form or another. Otherwise, you know, plane travel will be limited throughout the world. Cruises won't take place. You'll never get to the, your Mediterranean cruise because they'll, they won't have eliminated in Greece. I'm just using that as an example. Obviously. Right, right, right. No, I. So I the, w- there are a lot of unknowns. It's problem. It doesn't. It doesn't. You know, it doesn't recognize borders. You can't put a tariff on a pandemic. So we need worldwide solutions. We need worldwide organizations. Look, when a, when someone comes out finally with the cure, or comes out with the. Um, the um, method of, of stopping it, we need to make sure that that gets all over the world and quickly, as quickly as possible. Yeah. Only a worldwide organization can do that. So interesting. Mark Schulman, again, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. As usual, Mark, I wish we had more time to continue the conversation, but I need to move on. I genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a great week, Bob. You as well. Thank you. Mark Schulman, again, in Israel, and clearly our Political points of view are so different, but nevertheless, I genuinely appreciate his commentary on the show. Okay, coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Reed. By the way, I apologize. I think I played the same commercial break twice, <laughs> so we, but I'm not going to do uh, the same one again this time. So uh, coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Reed, the President Emeritus of the uh, Foundation for Economic Education. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Lyndon and myself. Located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, Blue Provence offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. During the governor's stay-at-home notice, Blue Provence is offering pick-up curbside takeout options five nights a week, Tuesday through Saturday. To place an order, just call 261-8239 Tuesday through Saturday from 4 to 7 p.m. A 20% discount will be applied on all food orders during these unprecedented times. Compliment your order with amazing wines from the Blue Provence Retail Wine Store, offering amazing choice and value. Blue Provence Wine Store is open Monday to Saturday, 9 to 12 p.m., and has one of the most eclectic and fun wine cellars, offering 10% off cases. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York style theater at its very best. Visit the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg. Right now we have with us Larry Reed. Larry is the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, thank you so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Larry. Can you hear me loud and clear? Yes, I can. Hey, that's good news. <laughs> so, uh, Larry, uh, tell us about the Foundation for Economic Education. Okay. Uh, we educate and inspire young people of high school and college age in ideas of individual liberty, private property, 
free enterprise, uh, capitalism, and personal character. And we do that through a very uh, vibrant website, FEE, F-E-E dot org, and uh, events, in-person events all over the country and often abroad. The website also includes uh, videos, uh, daily updates and content in, the, in terms of commentary, and even uh, free online courses. Terrific organization. If you have a young person in your life between the ages of, say, 16 and 25, I think those are the ages, Larry, uh, again, go to visit fee.org, F-E-E.org. So, Larry, you wrote a column. It's called Media Are Still Peddling, One of the Great Myths of the Great Depression. Maybe you can tell us about it. I'd be happy to. Uh, this, is a, this is something that sticks in my craw yeah. because so many people seem to uh, be unaware of the view that uh, uh, Herbert Hoover was not a laissez-faire, stand-pat, do-nothing president, and, that, and also the myth that FDR saved us from the Great Depression. So there was a recent commentary at foxnews.com in which the author casually repeated the error that Hoover was a do-nothing president and FDR had to come in and save us from the Depression. So I wrote another piece uh, responding to that. Uh, the fact is that Herbert Hoover contributed uh, tremendously to the beginning of the Depression. He raised tariffs to an all-time high in June of 1930. That was months after the stock market had crashed. Uh, and the stock market, in fact, had already rebounded, regained half of the loss uh, that it had incurred. Uh, and unemployment was only about 9%. wasn't even a Depression yet until Hoover signed the uh, tariff uh, act which uh, crushed international trade and threw us from recession into depression and then two years later he raised income tax rates dramatically more than doubled mm -hmm. uh, the top rate uh, on income and FDR when he came into office uh, actually prolonged the depression by another seven years you know what's even worse about this entire thing is that he actually ran on the platform of wanting to undo uh, what Hoover created, and uh, he ended up uh, being doing exactly the opposite, which is just compounding the errors. Yeah, you're exactly right. Anybody who thinks that Hoover didn't do anything uh, should just look at the words of FDR and his running mate, John Nance Garner, in the 1932 election. Franklin Roosevelt attacked Hoover for presiding over, and these are his words, the greatest taxing and spending administration in American history. And uh, Garner, the vice presidential candidate on the Democratic ticket, attacked Hoover for, quote, leading the country down the path to socialism. Uh, Roosevelt and Garner attacked the Hoover administration for sky-high taxes, sky-high tariffs, spending like crazy. And yet you've got all these people today who still, who were told in their classes that uh, Hoover just sat on his fanny and didn't do anything. He was a big reason why we had a Great Depression, and FDR was an even bigger reason as to why the Depression lasted as long as it did. Yeah, I mean, probably what brought us out of the Great Depression was the Second World War and all the the industrial activity that that it created. But the fact of the matter is, if we continued with the policies that uh, FDR put in place, we'd probably <laughs> would have probably extended that that Depression into the fifties. Yeah, and of course the war took care of the unemployment rate because we uh, drafted 11 million men and sent them overseas so they didn't count anymore in the unemployment numbers. And Of course, they were now employed, but it was by the government. Yeah, so are there any lessons that we can learn from all this? And when we take a look at what some of the... Uh, uh, the the activities that governors right now are imposing on their citizens and so forth. I mean, uh, is, there, is there anything that translates from the Great Depression to, for example, the pandemic that we're experiencing now? Well, certainly I think we should be skeptical of massive increases in government spending. You know, the, the verdict is not yet in on all this uh, expansion of spending for the uh, COVID uh, virus. Mm -hmm. uh, my guess is that a lot of people who think right now that, oh, this is necessary, this is going to do good things, they may uh, take a second look in a year or two and realize that there was an awful lot of it uh, that was wasted uh, and, and, and unnecessary. Uh, certainly back in the 30s, uh, FDR, who attacked Hoover for his spending, uh, he spent like crazy himself. He doubled the federal budget in his first term. And I have a great quote for you from FDR's own Treasury Secretary, uh, Henry Morgenthau, 
This is years later. This is on the eve of World War II, mm-hmm. uh, when Secretary of the Treasury Morgenthau said, we are spending more than we've ever spent before, and it does not work. I say after eight years of this administration, we have just as much unemployment as when we started and an enormous debt to boot. We may say something like that ourselves today yeah. in the next uh, couple of years when we look back on this period. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the one difference is that, uh, you know, we literally uh, closed down the economy uh, with the United yeah. States. We did, and we did it for good reasons, of course, and we didn't want people to get sick, but I think we've overdone it. And quite frankly, uh, my view is life is risky. There are risks in life, including getting sick. And uh, those that uh, are vulnerable because they have underlying health conditions should uh, self-quarantine, take care of themselves, stay away from other people. But those that can should get back to work, in my view. Yeah, and of course, uh, one big difference here is the government has uh, told businesses they must shut down. Yeah. And so uh, when that's the case, you, you've got a good argument for uh, compensating those that the government told uh, could not do business. But boy, the government sure didn't put us in a good position to weather all this increased spending. No. We went into this crisis with a trillion-dollar budget deficit to begin with and a booming economy, no less. Yeah, no question about that. And the fact of the matter is that uh, just like individuals should prepare for a rainy day, and this is definitely falls in the category of a rainy day, individuals should, states should, municipalities should, the globe should. None of us were prepared. All of us were living day to day, unfortunately. Not all of us, but uh, for the most part. And uh, that's, that's the situation we found ourselves in. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if one of the good things that come out of this uh, tragedy is that uh, people's savings rates are going to increase. People are going to realize, wow, I, I shouldn't live so close to the edge. There may be something unexpected that will happen. And that would, that's a good thing in the long run. Absolutely. Larry Reed, again, the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education, FEE.org. Larry, genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Jim McTagg. Jim is uh, the former former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. He retired. He's written a couple of books. Uh, The first is Follow the Leader, and the second is the sequel, Two Great Murder Mysteries, Shake the Money Tree. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For the best in food and drink as well as great live entertainment, go to the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar. Formerly known as Weekend Willie's, the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar has terrific new local owners offering a great new upscale decor and a fabulous new menu. Linda and I are weekly regulars to hear live blues, but you can stop by anytime for great food and drink, to watch your favorite sporting event, or to hear great live entertainment five nights a week. The Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar is located at 5310 Shirley Street, just off Pine Ridge Road, and it's open from 11 a.m. until close every day. Visit the website dogtoothnaples.com or call 431-7004. That's 431-7004. I hope we'll see you there. As Southwest Florida is impacted by the coronavirus crisis, the organizations that provide relief and support to our community's most vulnerable population are finding their resources stretched. For 32 years, St. Matthew's House has provided food, shelter, and comfort to those struggling with poverty, food insecurity, and homelessness. St. Matthew's House is the only emergency homeless shelter in Cuyahoga County, sheltering more than 300 men, women, and children every night and providing more than 500,000 meals each year to those in need. For those who have shelter but are food insecure, direct assistance is offered through the St. Matthew's House Food Pantry and Grocery Distribution. Donations of food, hygiene supplies, detergent, diapers, and monetary support are needed curbside drop-off is available at St. Matthew's House Main Thrift Store at 2601 Airport Road, South Naples. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization that does not solicit government funding. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org or call 239-774-0500. That's 774-0500. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, 
Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I hope you find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We have with us Jim McTagg, as I mentioned before the break. He's the former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Had his own press pass. He was sitting in those meetings with the president. Uh, boy, Jim, there'd be a lot of <laughs> a lot of meetings you'd have a chance to go to. He's also the author of a couple of great murder mystery thrillers. Uh, the first is called Follow the Leader, and its sequel is called The Shake the Money Tree. Jim McTagg, again, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure, Bob. I'm sitting here, you know, wondering: uh, Can we open up the economy? How much? How fast? Uh, and uh, how much of our uh, decision-making is based on aspiration as opposed to hard data. Uh, so, for example, uh, I think the, the stock market, what we, see, what we have seen in the last few weeks, um, has been aspirational bullishness, mm-hmm. people assuming that the economy, once it's reopened, uh, will bounce back like a V. I think that's way overly optimistic. Hmm. Um, I don't think we have a stock market right now, and the reason is uh, we don't have uh, sound fundamentals for the companies going forward. You know, at, We don't know how fast we can open up the economy, uh, and we don't know how the economy will change uh, once it's opened. So, for example, let me use an anecdote. Since I've been trapped in my house, and uh, a lot of cut off from a lot of my sources, but uh, my wife uh, Rachel and I were both high risk. I'm 70, uh, and I have uh, arrhythmia. And my wife uh, Rachel, who is who is younger, she's 61. She has Parkinson's disease. Hmm. So uh, we are not a reckless pair, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but I, I went out. We got a takeout meal from one of our favorite restaurants uh, this weekend, and I got to chat with some of the staff. And they're talking about how things will never, initially, will not be anywhere close uh, to normalcy once we reopen. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they think that maybe they would have they would only allow half the diners that they usually have mm-hmm. inside the restaurant at any one time, and that they would continue their uh, takeout uh, business. Uh, now, on the other hand. Um, when I go shopping at Costco or those local supermarket, I go during what I call the geezer hours. You know, they have special <laughs> yeah, senior citizen sure. yeah. hours. Yeah. Um, and, and it's very official. Like Costco, there's a, a hundred old people in there. So you get in and out pretty quickly if you can avoid the... Um, I, I say to myself, oh my God, if these people drive like they push their shopping carts, we're in trouble. But anyway, you can get in and out of there uh, very quickly and efficiently. And we haven't had any clusters reported in our local supermarkets uh, or Walmart or Costco. So maybe we have overreacted. You uh. know? So, for example, maybe Delaware, which has become like a totalitarian state, where, where if you're from uh, out of state and you drive into Delaware and you wander off the interstate highway, they stop you. Hmm. Uh, uh, and if you're going to, say, your beach house, they make you quarantine for 14 days. And if I want to drive to the beach where, where I usually go every summer and, and I can have a mile of beach to myself for fishing, I can't do that anymore. They've closed the beaches. I mean, it's just pure, you know, maybe we've gone way overboard crazy and, and the supermarkets and the Walmarts uh, show us that, uh, you know, we can reopen somewhat uh, and, and we're not going to have uh, massive casualties. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm rambling, but you know what? What kind of data can a guy like me use to make personal decisions? So, for example, uh, I know more about the hospitals in Brooklyn than I do about the uh, hospitals in Alexandria, Virginia, and Fairfax County, Virginia, which serve us. Um, how many ventilators do they have? Mm-hmm. I don't have a number. How many? Patients currently are on those ventilators. I don't have a number. Um, In each hospital, how many COVID patients are they treating? I don't have a number. Mm -hmm. Uh, The reason is there's a news blackout uh, I'm discovering from talking to nurses across the country. Um, Health departments will not break down that data. Your local hospital is reluctant to give out that data because uh, it's kind of like JAWS. They're afraid that 
if uh, let's say you're scheduled for um, physical therapy or some minor, you know, uh, operation, mm-hmm. if you know that uh, they have seventy-five uh, percent uh, of their ventilators uh, occupied, you'll be frightened away from going in for that procedure, and that costs the hospital money. Well, so so you know. The, yeah. the the other thing but is the other thing is that I think uh, many hospitals have prepared for a lot of COVID nineteen patients and uh, I, 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 one of my previous guests suggested the hospitals are all stuffed with patients but I don't think they are I think a lot of medical services because they've cut down non essential types of uh, medical procedures uh, that many doctors are not busy many hospital rooms are not being used I mean I mean this it's uh, this this part of the shutdown and, and quite frankly I'm not sure I'd want to go see a medical professional right now even if I needed to and the reason for that is because you know you don't want to be around sick people <laughs> that might have the uh, might have the, the virus All right you don't want to get into a crowded elevator by by any means but but the other thing too that I think would help people like I'm on uh, uh, I'm retired so I, I get the government health insurance but for younger people it would be nice for them to know that uh, should I get COVID and let's say I end up you know extreme on a ventilator for two weeks mm-hmm. uh, I know people who were on for four weeks how much is coming out of my pocket so that would also inform individual decisions about gee how quickly do I think the economy uh, should open. Uh, now, personally, I think that, uh, uh, you know, we can do what the, the Germans are doing and gradually open uh, businesses, uh, you know, sort of rolling openings and check the data to make sure that uh, we don't have a spike in new cases. Yeah. Because right now, social distances is working. And if you look at the, uh, the uh, state data, the data that we do get, New cases have have fallen. So although we, you know, you'll read, you'll have two hundred new cases. I just throw that number out. Yeah, no, I understand, but yeah, there should be another dashboard uh, uh, report as well. Like how many businesses are going bankrupt or are on the edge and can't survive and so forth. I mean, uh, exactly. How many people are losing their health insurance? (laughs) Yeah, that's why I want to know the cost. Yeah, yeah. You know, people. uh, There's a story in the Wall Street Journal. People are losing their health insurance now. it's craziness. We do have to open the economy uh, at some point and get things rolling. Uh, but back, circling back to the stock market, will it be a V or a U? I think it will be a U yeah. because uh, so many of us will continue our, to social distance on our own. We do not want to get on those crowded elevators. You know, it's uh, kind. Of, it's kind of interesting. Packing in the restaurant. Uh, you know, as I yeah. as I'm talking right now, I I have uh, the Fox Business News or what is it Fox Business? Yeah, Fox Business on. So I, I glance up there every once in a while. And the futures are down right now, but I'm also seeing reports that businesses are reporting exceeding expectations with earnings and so forth. Now, that's all. That's a lagging indicator. But uh, we're gonna after we get through this thing, we're gonna start seeing results from businesses that are gonna be pretty anemic. And when that happens, I think it'd have a negative effect on the stock market as well. Yeah, I agree with you, because this is not like World War II, although I've seen that uh, analogy, because uh, we had pent-up, people had savings during World War II. People's savings are being drained right now. Their yeah. debt is running up. So so we might actually have deflation uh, uh, going in the uh, year ahead. Well, I think that's the big concern of the Fed right now. Jim McTagg, again, author of a couple of great murder mystery thrillers. I encourage you to get a copy. I, I Representative Reed, Reed uh, read, follow the leader first, and then the sequel, Shake the Money Tree. Both great reads. Jim, I genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I do want to recommend Dr. Rashid Buttar, B-U-T-T-A-R. So you just go to YouTube and check out Rashid Buttar, Dr. Rashid Buttar. It's a very, very uh, scary uh, video about the, the uh, Corona-19 virus and how we're overreacting. That certainly influenced my thinking about this entire process. Anyhow, uh, Rashid Buttar, Dr. Rashid Buttar. I hope you join us tomorrow. We have some great guests lined up. Uh, I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste.
Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.